Hey, deserving listeners, it's just me today. I want to tell you something that I learned recently. And I guess I always sort of knew it, but I never really heard stories about it until recently. And and so so I want to tell you something. Did you know that right now in America, in the United States, there are counselors and therapists and psychologists who refuse to work with gay clients? They refuse to work with LGBTQ clients. Right now in America, there are licensed professionals who refuse to work with LGBTQ clients. There are students in training programs today who are currently refusing to work with gay clients and LGBTQ clients, often because of religion, often because of Christianity. They have a general, I don't know, disdain for the LGBT community. And that's why they won't treat gay people or LGBTQ people. Or they say things like, I can't just do nothing when I see someone living an immoral lifestyle. You know, they'll say stuff like that. They'll just be like, look, if I have a client that is living an immoral lifestyle, I can't just sit by and let them live that terrible lifestyle. I have to do something about it. And they are given clients at internships or practicums or other kinds of settings. Like the, they're given a, a, a gay teenager who wants to come out to their family or something. Or a gay couple wants to improve their relationship and improve their parenting or something. And these, you know, very rare, I just want to say they're very rare counselors and therapists and psychologists and social workers. These are very rare individuals, but they exist. And they're not in the closet anymore, or at least they haven't been recently. Well, that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about these, what I'm calling bigoted therapists. I'm just going to come out and say that. I'm going to use strong language in this podcast because it's my podcast and I can say what I want. And I'm going to say what's on my mind and I have things on my mind and I'm not going to sugarcoat it because I don't think it's, um, I don't think it needs to be sugarcoated. It's just, to me, it's a very simple issue to me. There's no debate. There's no ambiguity. There's no, well, you know, there's people on both sides. No, there's people on the right side and then there's people on the other side. And I'm not going to mince words about this today because it's ridiculous. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and I'm also a licensed therapist. I'm a licensed therapist and I'm also a professor. Um, as always... In any episode, I should say that everything that I say on this podcast in every episode is only my opinion and doesn't represent anybody else. Just me by myself talking. I don't represent my university. I don't, I don't represent my profession. I don't represent my race. I don't represent my gender. I, I'm just me talking. That's just something I just want to say. I just think it's fairly obvious, but okay. So. We have what I'm going to call a bigoted therapist, Jennifer Keaton. Jennifer Keaton. She is uh, or was a practicum student at Augusta State University in Georgia and in their counselor education program. It's a master's degree. So Jennifer Keaton, who I will just refer to as Jennifer, Jennifer was a student and she was in the program and she would tell her classmates 
all about her views about LGBTQ people. She was apparently a Christian and she voiced. Now, I just want to say from the onset about Christians that there are many different kinds of Christians, many different kinds of Muslims, many different kinds of Jewish people. You know, religion is a extremely uh, diverse set of beliefs and people. And when I say that Jennifer Keaton is Christian, that's her, you know, identification. But this this episode is not an indictment on Christianity or Christian people at all. It's not that at all. Atheist people can be terrible and Christian people can be terrible. And it just so happens that um, among terrible Christians, they happen to be bigoted. <laughs> That's not a good way to put it. Um, well, another thing I should say is that there are plenty of Christians who are not only quote unquote tolerant of LGBTQ people, but are are advocates and allies of LGBTQ people. There are also many LGBTQ people who are actual Christians. I have LGBTQ clients who are Christians and who attend church every Sunday. So, uh, so this again, this is an indictment on Christianity. All right. So we have Jennifer Keaton, a Christian student attending a university in Georgia and a counselor master's degree program. And she would tell all of her classmates about her views on LGBTQ people. And her views were not very uh, sympathetic. She would voice her disagreement in class discussions about the quote unquote LGBTQ or the gay lifestyle. I just love that term, the lifestyle. (laughs) It's like, uh, when I think of lifestyle, I think of, I don't know, like, I'm living the tennis lifestyle. I play tennis. I like to wear tennis bracelets. I like to talk about tennis. I like to wear tennis shoes. I like to go to tennis clubs. I wear, I don't know, Tommy Hilfiger. Is that it? That's more sailing. But anyway, I I like the tennis lifestyle. And I just like how, (laughs) you know, people in, I'm just going to call them bigoted, uh, anti-LGBTQ people, they will refer to it as the lifestyle, right? Um, now, I don't know the p- political correctness of what I'm saying right now. Maybe maybe LGBTQ people call it the lifestyle, too. I don't think so. But whatever I hear lifestyle, it tends to be, come from anti-LGBTQ people. Anyway, so this student, Jennifer, would talk in class about her views against the LGBTQ or gay, quote-unquote, lifestyle. She wrote in several assignments that she would submit to her professors that she disagreed with the LGBTQ, quote unquote, lifestyle. She said she would not work with LGBTQ clients. She said that LGBTQ people were wrong and that she didn't support that lifestyle. She said that LGBTQ people were just going through a, quote unquote, identity confusion, which is what a lot of Christian bigots will say. Jennifer also would try to convince her classmates to agree with her point of view. And she would also preach to others about conversion therapy. I think I'll do a whole episode on conversion therapy at some point, but that's the therapy where uh, historically was used in our profession in which therapist would try to convert homosexuals to being heterosexual. So this student, Jennifer, is really coming out all guns a-blazing, right? 
She's talking about it in class. She's writing about it in assignments. And I'm just trying to figure out why you would do that. She is adamant about not working with LGBTQ clients. She's, she doesn't support it. She says it's identity confusion. She pathologizes it. She's preaching to other people. She's talking about conversion therapy. And I'm just trying to imagine what I would do with a student like this in my program. To be honest, my knee-jerk reaction would be to kick him out of the program. I mean, honestly, when I, when I heard about the student, I'd be like, oh, if a student like that was in my program at Antioch, I would be like, you're gone. You are going to harm people. And I will figure out a way to get rid of you because I do not want you in my profession. But, of course, and I'll get into later on why that is not wise, uh, but, um, but that's my, that's my knee-jerk reaction. And, and I, was at a, I was actually at a conference yesterday in which we were talking about stuff like this, and that was what was just going on in my head the whole time. It's like, people like this need to go away. <laughs> I just don't want them around. But, you know, I'll get more into what a more wise approach is. But, um, you know, my, my knee-jerk reaction is based on my guess and prediction that this point of view is, and this... Uh, you know, the student just pontificating and preaching about anti-LGBTQ sentiments. I- I'm just guessing it's the tip of the iceberg, right? Uh, there are plenty of people in the profession who are Christians, and there are plenty of people in the in the profession who are um, also anti-LGBTQ people, but they don't make it known. You know, they'll 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 keep it on the sly, <laughs> and for someone which is still not right, and it's still discrimination it's still wrong very wrong but but for someone to be so vocal about it i would just imagine it's the tip of the iceberg you know so i'm just trying to imagine what i would do with a student like this and and how stressful it would be to have a student like this in the program because i i wouldn't i couldn't let this just you know i couldn't sweep this under the table if i had a student that was so vocal about it i would just be like man we got to do something and this is going to get ugly you know because uh, it's so politicized, right? Okay. Well, what did the program do at Augusta State University in Georgia? What did, what did they do? Well, the faculty told her that she, she couldn't complete the degree program if, if she did not complete a remediation plan. So the faculty, I'm just reading between the lines, they probably initially heard little rumblings of an indication of this in her discussions and in, and in writing assignments. Maybe her advisor had a conversation with her, some professors had, you know, it seems like there was probably a, a ramp up. I'm guessing the faculty got together. Usually in these programs, uh, my program is very large at Antioch, and so we have like, I don't know, 20 or 30 full-time faculty, but at, well, maybe 20, but at in other programs, they... They're, they typically are smaller and they tend to have like maybe just three full-time faculty. So I'm just guessing here that the three or four faculty members got together and talked about it and said, you know, we got to do something about this Jennifer student. And I'm guessing some people were talking about, well, let's kick her out and what are we doing? And they're like, well, no, let's, let's give her a chance and let's, let's try to help her. Let's try to help her to grow as a professional. And so they said, well, let's, let's lay out a remediation plan. And, uh, and this is the remediation plan that they laid out for her. They said that she had to attend three workshops on diversity. 
So let's just look at that one for a second. Three workshops on diversity. Workshops are usually all day, you know, six hours kind of a thing. And it's on diversity, not on LGBTQ people. It's just diversity. So that, you know, that's notable, right? So three workshops on diversity. So it's probably three days of classes talking about diversity and marginalization and the history of our uh, country and blah, blah, blah. Okay. Uh, Number two, the second thing that they said that she had to do, aside from these workshops, was to increase her exposure to the gay population. So there's like, look, just expose yourself to gay people. (laughs) You need to be, you need to know gay people. You need to hang out with gay people. And, you know, humanize them because I don't think you understand these people very well. And they suggested that she attend the gay pride parade, the gay pride parade. Um, So, you know, that's a pretty easy thing to do. Just go to the gay pride parade for an hour. And it's just, it's just a parade. You know, it's, it's not that big of a deal. It's just watch a parade or, you know, find a, uh, find some gay people and say, could I talk with you <laughs> or something? I don't know. Just, it, you know, get some exposure to some gay people. And maybe the, maybe the program even said, look, we have volunteers who are gay who would be willing to talk to you. Maybe they had, the, I don't know. So number three, they also said, you have to read some articles about LGBTQ clients. Okay. That's pretty, pretty easy to do. And number four, They said, you have to write a monthly two-page reflection paper on what you've learned during this process. So so attend some workshops, have some exposure to some gay people, and read some articles, and then write a a two-page reflection paper. And if, if you're familiar with reflection papers, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. But if you're not familiar with reflection papers, let me explain what they are. They are basically um, very easy to write because you just you just sort of put your thoughts to to the page. You're just like like she might go, okay, well, this month I attended this workshop and this is what I learned. I'm still kind of struggling with this because blah blah blah. And but I read this other article and it seems to give me some options here. But I'm still, I still don't want to work with LGBTQ clients, and here's my reasons, and blah, blah, blah. So that's, it's very, it can be very formal, but it can also be very informal, and they usually are very informal. So it's not really a big assignment to say once a month, just, you know, write a couple pages about your experience. And this is, and these are usually double spaced too, by the way. So it's really just like a page of thoughts. So, that's the remediation plan. Um, they also had her work on her writing. They needed they as a second as a part of her remediation that was independent from the LGBTQ issue was that they said you also need to figure out a way to improve your writing. Which I just have to say, as a professor and as a as a former program director, uh, that's something that we're always dealing with. It's it's one of the it's one of the biggest thorns on our side with students is like the occasional students. It's usually like, I don't know, one in, I don't know, one in 30 of our students will have significant writing issues that need remediation because in a counseling training program, uh, well, our, and a lot of counseling training programs, but particularly ours at Antioch university, Seattle, 
we don't have any tests or there's very few tests. So let's put it that way. There's, there's the only tests we have are basically related to test prep for the national exam to get licensed. But all the other classes are all uh, either experiential based or writing based. So you either write a paper or you have to perform something in class or, you know, a, a, like a presentation or a demonstration of some kind. And so when students have problems with their writing, everything falls apart, you know. So uh, so they also said that she needed to work on her writing, which is just sort of in, uh, a secondary issue to this discussion. But anyway, so when I look at this remediation plan that the faculty laid out for, they're like, look, okay, we got this student that's like extremely vocal about the fact that she won't work with LGBTQ people. This is wrong. It's against the standard of care. It's discriminatory. It is against all the ethical codes. It's, um, uh, you know, sh- sh- it's it indicates some kind of weird thing that she has about particular groups of people. That's just not okay for a clinician to be that way. You know, imagine if a heart surgeon said, "I don't work with Muslims," or "I'm not going to treat redheads," or "I'm not going to treat women," or "I'm not going to treat black people." Like, no, you can't effing do that it's not right it's not american it's antithetical to americanism it's not okay and uh, so anyway the faculty are looking at the student jennifer keaton and like okay this is you know she's being discriminatory what are we going to do well what will help her to change you know how can we get her to change because that's that's what we want her to do we you know that the whole idea with competency-based education is that you take someone wherever they're at and you try to make them more competent. You know, you're not looking for ways to get rid of someone. You're always looking for ways to help helping them succeed. And so this remediation program addresses that. They're saying, look, I'm guessing that if this student goes to some workshops, hangs out with some gay people, thinks about this a little bit, maybe read some articles. I'm guessing that she'll loosen up a bit, or at least it'll give her an opportunity to to loosen up a bit. And I've seen this happen. I've seen this happen to people where they are quintessentially heterosexist and homophobic, and they get a little bit of exposure to some gay people or LGBTQ people. They hang out with even, they they actually did a, there was a This American Life about this, I think, in which gay people went door to door and talked to voters who were anti-gay people and said, I'm gay. You know, there's like, I'm a gay person. I just want to tell you that I'd really love it if you voted for this pro-gay legislation or something. And like, it affected people. People, I wonder, I always wonder what would happen if we just took all the bigots of the world and made them hang out with whoever they're bigoted against. Just make them hang out with that person like for a couple hours. You know, have have a joint together, have a beer together, have a walk together, play chess together, whatever. Just do something in a room by yourself. And I'm I just have I've seen it happen so many times. People's bigoted attitudes just wash away. Bigotry breeds within isolation. That's why so many people 
in America right now hate Mexicans and hate Muslims in communities in which there are no Mexicans and no Muslims. <laughs> there are people in rural America right now who have extreme views against Muslims and, Amer- and, and Mexicans. And it's, and it's empirically shown that they've never, the community has never seen a Muslim and never seen a Mexican <laughs> immigrant anyway. Um, anyway, so, so that's what they decided to do. They're like, Hey, how about, you know, we just expose this girl to some gay people and maybe, maybe that will fix it. So, so that's what they did. And if she, now in this moment, so let's put ourselves in Jennifer Keaton's shoes. You're very adamant against LGBTQ people and your, and your program is telling you, look, here's a pretty mild re- remediation plan. And all you got to do is do this uh, or else you're going to be kicked out of the program. Now, she probably wasn't thinking, yay, an opportunity to grow. You know, that's probably not what she was thinking. She's probably thinking, God damn it, this liberal leftist Obamianist uh, program is going to, you know, a war on Christmas, <laughs> war on Christianity. Well, all she's got to do at that point is to be like, you know what? I'm going to go through the motions. I'll say what they want to hear, and then I'll figure something out later. That's all she had to do. And I'm guessing a number of students will will do that about it. They'll just be like, ah, look, I, I this is my religious belief, but it's probably not going to go over well in this program or any program. And so um, rather than drag myself down and everyone else with me. I, I, I'll just go through the motions and I'll, I'll, I'll and then I'll, I'll quietly refer LGBTQ clients. And cause, cause that's the thing. If you hate LGBTQ people and there are counselors out there that, that do, or at least feel very uncomfortable around it, let's just put it that way. Um, all you got to do is quietly refer those people out and no one will be the wiser that you're a bigot. All you got to do is say like, ah, I don't, my, my practice is full or, or, well, you know, it's not really my expertise, this issue that they're presenting. I, I just don't feel really comfortable and I'd be doing you a disservice if I treated you. But yeah, here's some colleagues that I think are much more suited to what you're talking about and to your presentation. You don't even have to identify the LGBTQ element as the thing that you're referring the person for. You could just, you could just, you could just say an umbrella statement like, yeah, your overall presentation leads me to believe that I'm not the best person for you and I'd be doing you a disservice. And there are people who do stuff like that all the time for all sorts of reasons. Like if someone doesn't want to work with a domestic violence perpetrator or someone doesn't want to work with a, with a sexual violence perpetrator or someone doesn't want to work with an elderly person or someone, not because they don't like elderly people, but they just feel like they don't really understand that sort of, you know, what the, there are people who specialize in, in older adults. There are people who like, like for me, I don't like working with eating disorder people anymore. I used to, but I don't like to anymore. Not because I don't like people with eating disorders, but because of, of the extreme eating disorder people that I worked with, they required hours and hours of my time each week that was unpaid. And 
uh, that's just not the kind of career I want to have. I, I, I ended up doing a lot of social work, essentially, a lot of casework for those kinds of clients. I was calling the doctor. I was calling the dietitian. I was calling the family. I was calling the day treatment center. I was calling her. I was calling the hospital. I was calling um, her partner. I was calling her friends. Like I, I became a wraparound service coordinator, and I'm in private practice, and I don't, I don't have time for that, and, I, and I, it's not something I want to do. Now, you could easily make an argument that it's discriminatory, but it's just a professional choice that I, that I just make. Another thing is, is throughout my career, I have always referred infants. Very occasionally, someone will refer an infant to me, a two-year-old, a one-year-old, a four-year-old. And in the beginning of my career, I did work with infants. But over time, I just I figured out for myself that it's not really my thing. I, I could work with four-year-olds. I can. I'm capable of it. But I just... I just don't, it's not my thing. There are people who really like working with four-year-olds and therefore um, are better suited for that. And and obviously over time, they gain much more expertise than I have. Plus, I don't have an office that's set up for four-year-olds. You need an office that has a pretty big play area. You need to have toys that are kids safe. You need to have your the corners of your desk need to be rounded off so that falling kids don't brain themselves. There's a lot of so the point is is in our profession, plenty of people will say, "I prefer not to work with these people." Now, if you uh, in the conference that I went to, this there was this lawyer therapist that was talking, and what he was saying was, if if I said I refuse to work with infants, or I refuse to work with people with eating disorders or I refuse to work with elderly people. Now, I personally love working with elderly people, so it's not my thing. But but if someone were to say, I refuse to work with people over 70 or 80 years old, and you can't make me, then that can actually potentially be seen as discriminatory, depending on the laws in your area about different protected groups of people. But if you say to the person, look, I'm probably not the best person for you, and in Seattle, there are thousands of other therapists, many of which are much more suited for you. So here's some referrals. I, um, I, I recommend that you go to these other people. But if, you, but if you're going to force me to work with you, then, then I will. I will work with you. So now most clients in that situation would be like, oh, well, I'm not going to work with you because you're, you're telling me clearly that you're not the best person for me. So I'll, I'll find someone else. Um, so that is not discriminatory. You're just highly recommending that they go somewhere else and you're not refusing them service. You're not saying, I'm not going to work with you. You know, it, it, it's akin to a McDonald's having a policy that you can't eat at their restaurant if you're over 70 years old, right? It's, it has, you can't discriminate against people in, uh, in America and in most states. You can't say, you can't refuse service to someone. And so as a therapist, you can't refuse service to somebody. You can't just be like, no, because of your identification, because you're gay or because you're a woman or because you're black, I refuse to work with you. I'm just you and you can't make me and I refuse to get competent in that area. If you say that kind of stuff, then you're discriminatory and you could be sued. But if you say, look, I because I grew up in an all white neighborhood and I've, you know, 
had all white clients, you African-American, I'm telling you, like, I'm guessing you have issues that are particular to you that I just have no idea what I'm doing with. And I'm probably not going to be the best therapist for you. Now, as I say that out loud, it sounds ridiculous, but, but anyway, the way the lawyer said it to me, he was saying that you can say things along those lines, as long as you're not completely refusing to see that person. Um, but in the end you have to see him anyway. So the, this Jennifer Keaton, all she had to do was be like, okay, fine. I'll go through the remediation plan, but I'll quietly refer all the LGBTQ clients to someone else. Cause that's just not my thing that, that I'm guessing would have been fine, but she did something different because she ended up talking to, to other people. But, uh, but I'll get into more of that after the break. So let's take a break. All right. We're back from the break. Today's episode is brought to you by Talkspace. Talkspace is a legitimate online counseling uh, outfit organization. So when you go to Talkspace, you get connected with an online counselor with whom you can talk to every day or multiple times a day, depending on the plan you buy. And it's relatively cheaper than in-office counseling, depending on the situation. And the counselors are fully licensed, which means that they have, uh, they have at least two or three years experience after graduating, unless they're a psychologist. But anyway, the point is, is that the Talkspace people really make sure that their clinicians are good. And then once they are vetted, they actually train them. So, but you have to use the promo code Kirk, K-I-R-K. When you use the promo code Kirk, that gives you a discount to your first month's uh, fee, but it also signals to Talkspace that you're one of my listeners, which makes them continue to sponsor us, which is a pretty big uh, source of our monthly revenue at this point. So if you're curious or you want a counselor, go to Talkspace, check it out. Um, even if you have a uh, in-person counselor, maybe this could be a adjunctive service that you could have. You know, you, you get a chance to talk with them all the time. Someone just wrote me, actually. I won't say her name, but she was talking about how wonderful Talkspace was. She said that she, let's see, uh, uh, on Talkspace, I found an awesome therapist, she says, big capital letters. So go to Talkspace, use the promo code Kirk. Got to use the promo code Kirk. All right. So, um, so what did she do? They give her this remediation pro plan, attend some workshops, get some exposure to some gay populations, read some articles, write some reflection papers. Uh, what does she do? Well, at first she agreed to it. At first she's like, okay, fine. But then she goes home and then she comes back and she changes her mind. She sends an email. She's like, I changed my mind. I'm not going to do this. You're infringing on my first amendment rights, blah, blah. Um, so I'm reading between the lines here. I'm speculating uh, based on limited information, but I'm guessing what happened is she went home and she told people, maybe even people at her church, and they said that is discrimination and you have rights and you shouldn't have agreed to that and let me connect you with some lawyers who can help you out. And then the lawyers routed them to what's called the Alliance Defense Fund, which is headquartered in Scottsdale, Arizona. It's now called the Alliance Defending Freedom, I think it's called. 
But anyway, Alliance Defense Fund, Alliance Defending Freedom, it's it's an American conservative Christian organization. And they do a number of different, quote-unquote, advocacy, but they also fund lawsuits on these sorts of issues, on what they call religious freedom. And they offered to fund a lawsuit for Jennifer Keaton against um, Augusta State University. Uh, they've actually, incidentally, they've been funding a lot of suits, lawsuits like this. So they have, they're, they're, they've been funding a number. So apparently a number of bigoted trainees are refusing to work with LGBTQ clients and being kicked out of programs or being imposed with sanctions. And they are being routed to this Alliance Defense Fund. And the Alliance Defense Fund is funding all of these lawsuits against these programs, which I have to say as a former uh, program director of a program of a training program who has been sued before, which I'll get into later many times. I mean, not many times, but a handful of times I can tell you that being sued is extremely bothersome. It is not a nice experience to go through. We always win. I just, I just want to cut to the chase that um, my program always wins is the ones I've been involved in, but it's not without its stress and, and without its toll. But anyway, so this Alliance Defense Fund sweeps in and they're like, hey, Jennifer, you are a good case that we want to fund because we want to strike back at the leftist Obamianism in our country. Okay, so she initially, again, she initially agreed, but then she withdrew and she said that she was going to sue. So she sued and the lawyer said that the program, the training program was requiring her to change her Christian beliefs. And they're saying that's an infringement on our first amendment rights. They're saying you can't, you can't impose this remediation program because you're basically making her change her, her religious beliefs around LGBTQ people. Jennifer made a video online and she said, I want to stay in the school counseling program, but I can't honestly complete the remediation program knowing that I would have to alter my beliefs, unquote. So now on, on the side of Jennifer, what the debate would be is that, look, she has her, she's a Christian and she and her belief and her religion says that LGBTQ people are sinning, they're immoral and they, they need to be changed. And that's her religious belief. And you can't, and you can't make her change that. You know, it'd, it'd be akin to saying to a Muslim that they can't be a Muslim anymore or to a Jewish person that they can't be Jewish or to a Christian person that they can't believe in God. You can't, you can't change someone's religious beliefs. Um, and the program is trying to do that. And also, she's not hiding her belief system. She's saying, look, I believe in this, and therefore, you shouldn't give me LGBTQ clients. She, she wasn't saying, let me see all the gay clients because I want to convert them. She was just saying, look, don't give me any gay clients because I believe that it's morally wrong. And if you do give them to me, I might try to convert them. So she, she's being completely open. She's not, she's not hiding anything. And... Really, when you add up all the potential clients that she would get while she was at her practicum at, at the university, you know, a small percentage of them would have been 
LGBTQ anyway, and um, and of those, they could have been referred. So, so that's the argument for her. That's what the lawyers are saying. Well, what the school officials and the, the, the school lawyers were saying was that, look, we're not trying to change her religious views. We, we have no interest in changing her religious beliefs, but it's unethical for her to apply her own personal viewpoints to other people. It's, it's unethical for any therapist to impose their religious beliefs on other people. You can't do that. It's also unethical for counselors to refuse to accept uh, particular kinds of clients who have different values than, than hers. You can't just discriminate against someone because of, of who they are, you know, what their views are. You, that's not, it's unethical and you can't do that. You can have your beliefs, that's fine, but you can't discriminate against people. You know, if your religion says that black people should be killed that's fine. You can have that belief. It's a ridiculous belief, but if that's your belief, then fine. But you can't go, but that doesn't give you the right to go kill people, right? It doesn't give you the right to kill black people. Well, you can believe that LGBTQ people are going to hell. You can believe that. That's, that's, you're totally entitled under the constitution to have that belief, but you can't discriminate against LGBTQ people. That is not okay. And that is unconstitutional. Also, to be a competent therapist, you have to learn how to work with everybody. You have, as, as every profession in mental health states at this point, according to accreditation standards, according to ethical standards, according to the standards of practice, you need to learn how to work with different groups of people. You can't just say, I, as a privileged white uh, American I only am going to work with other privileged, other privileged dominant groups of people. That's just not okay. You can't do that. Also, you can't arbitrarily decide that a particular group of people is pathological and unworthy of treatment. You, that's, not, that's not okay. That's discriminatory. And the program was, was saying that, look, we're, we're applying this to all students. This isn't just for Jennifer. If any student had something like this, we would apply a remediation plan that was similar to this. This isn't just for Christians, and this isn't just for people who disliked LGBTQ people. This is for anyone who said who would say anything about any group of people. That's that's what our program does. So we're not. This is we're applying our rules that we have established to all of our students, including Jennifer. So that's an important legal distinction because if if they just attacked her. And, you know, for this particular belief, then they don't have a fair policy, right? So they're saying, look, you know, we have a general policy towards any discrimination and, and we're applying this policy to her. And to all of you, because I know you're out there, professors of programs, make sure, because I've been through this myself as a program director, make sure that in your policies and in your handbooks and in your accreditation self-studies, that you have language around this sort of thing that specifically lays out your policy and you tell students about this in the orientation and it's, you know, in the student handbook that if they discriminate against a particular group of people, such as LGBTQ people, then they will be subjected to a remediation plan. And, and if they do not adhere to the remediation plan or don't fulfill the remediation plan satisfactorily as determined by a, uh, 
a, a committee of, of professors, then you will be removed from the program. You have to have that explicitly laid out in your policies. You can't just have it in your head. That's one thing as a program director for myself, I have pulled hair out about because when I, before I was program director, God bless him, Paul David, my mentor, he gave me uh, the position of program director and he, he was program director of my program for decades and everything was in his head. And that's kind of the way he liked it. He, I think he didn't really, or let's say he didn't prefer to write things down. Let's just put it that way. And so when we ran into situations like this, he would just sort of enact his, his, how he felt the, the situation, you know, what the situation needed. And a lot of times it was great, but when we ended up uh, becoming under scrutiny, like in a lawsuit, it was hard to justify our actions because we didn't have anything written down. And so I, a few years ago, just started writing everything down. Actually, I started writing things down like 10 years ago. Um, but I, I rec and, and when you go to court and you have these policies, it really helps if you end up getting sued. Um, plus it just makes sense that you would publish your policies and have them reviewable by students and faculty anyway. So, just make sure you have that kind of stuff. And it is, and it seemed that Augusta State University may have had that material available, which helped their case. So the other thing that they look toward is the American Counseling Association, because this was a counseling training program within the field of mental health counseling. And so they, they're saying, look, all students are taught the fundamentals of the American Counseling Association, including that counselors must support their clients' welfare, they must promote clients' growth, they must respect clients' dignity, they must support clients' autonomy, and they must help clients pursue their own goals for counseling. So this is a ethical responsibility. It's also you know one of the core competencies in the ACA, I'm guessing, and in my field, marriage and family therapy as well. And so the program's saying, look, we're not just arbitrarily imposing this remediation plan on the student because we thought it was okay. We're doing it because we think it's okay, but we also are doing it because our larger umbrella organization, the American Counseling Association, lays this out pretty clearly. Also, they're saying that our curriculum requires that all students be competent to work with all populations. It's, it's clear in our curriculum that you need to learn how to work with all populations. And it's also clear in our curriculum that students don't impose their personal religious values on other clients. They also said that she was completely free to express her disagreement with the curriculum. And she's completely free to disagree with the ethical requirements of the American Counseling Association. So we're not impinging on her freedom of speech and her freedom of religion. She can have her religion and she can talk about her religion. That is fine. But she can't block our attempts to ensure that she abides by the standard of care and by our ethical standards. If she wants to get graduate from our program, she has to learn how to work with all, all kinds of clients, including LGBT clients. She can continue to believe that LGBTQ people are going to hell. She can completely uh, continue to talk about that point of view. She can say it, whatever, but she can't, but she has to learn how to work with these people and she has to learn how to work ethically and effectively with these people. She can't, you know, so that's what they're saying. 
They're saying it has nothing to do with the First Amendment. This has to do with professional standards and accreditation standards and ethical standards. Okay, so that's the that's the two sides. Now, who won? Remember, this is Georgia, right? Just keep that in mind. Who won? Do you think Jennifer won or do you think the university won? Well, drum roll, da 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 The school won. Yay. The judge found that the university's rules did not violate her religious rights. The judge said that, I actually wrote an email to the judge today thanking him for this <laughs> for this judgment. Um, I feel like people like this should be uh, congratulated or honored in some way. Um, the judge said that Jennifer was conflating her personal views with her professional values. Essentially, what the judge was saying was that just because you believe that you're, um, just because you believe that LGBTQ people are immoral, um, just because you believe that doesn't make that it's doesn't mean that it's true. <laughs> he was using language. He's actually a really good writer, and I'll quote him in a second. And you'll you'll realize that his official statement on this case is eloquent. But he basically was saying, look. Just because you believe this to be true doesn't make it true. Just because your religion says that LGBTQ people are immoral doesn't mean that they're actually immoral. It just means that that's your belief system. You know, it, you know, just because you believe that the end of the world is coming next year doesn't mean that the end of the world is coming next year. Just because you believe that the earth is 6,000 years old does not make the earth 6,000 years old, which I find to be such an interesting thing for a judge to say, you know. Okay, um, this all reminds me of that "Built a Spill" song, uh, it, it, where he's he's like, uh, "Just because you believe it doesn't make it." Anyway, um, all right. So, quoting the judge here: "The policies which govern the ethical conduct of counselors, with their focus on client welfare and self determination, make clear that the counselors' professional environs are not intended to be the, a crucible for counselors to test metaphysical or moral propositions. <laughs> I just love that language. He's essentially saying that her weird religious belief doesn't preclude her professional responsibility to client welfare and to client self-determination. So just because you believe that LGBTQ people are immoral doesn't, doesn't eliminate or preclude your professional responsibility to help people, to help your clients, and to allow clients to choose their own life. That you know, that's you can't make clients engage in conversion therapy just because you think that that's the best thing. That's that's not okay. Here's another quote here. One conspicuous and abiding theme of the American story is that individuals like Jennifer Keaton are free to choose their own spiritual path. The Constitution guarantees that the heart may pulse to matters of its own design, deaf to public cadence. But when affairs of the conscious ripen into action, government is granted leave to regulate in behalf of certain public interests, including education and professional fitness, unquote. I just, again, just great. I just love this stuff. It should be etched in stone. So I just want to say this again. One conspicuous and abiding theme of the American story. I just, one conspicuous and abiding theme of the American story is that individuals like Jennifer Keaton are free to choose their own spiritual path. You know, it's, it's, it's an inalienable right 
for Americans to choose their own religion. But he goes on, the con- and he goes on, the Constitution guarantees that the heart may pulse to, to meters, to, I, said, I think he said matters before, <laughs> meters is even better. The Constitution guarantees that the heart may pulse to meters of its own design, deaf to public cadence. So he brings in this metaphor of, of music. You know, the Constitution guarantees the heart may pulse to meters of its own design, deaf to public cadence. <laughs> Just so great. But he goes on. But when affairs of the conscience ripen into action, government is granted leave to regulate in behalf of certain public interests, including education and professional fitness. In other words, what he's saying here is you can believe whatever you want. You are free to have whatever religious beliefs you want. But when your beliefs interfere with education and with professional competence, then the government may intervene. Hallelujah. Okay. So in summary, according to the court, this, uh, and according to this court precedent, by the way, because this was, I think this, you know, establishes a precedent in Georgia that might uh, generalize to the rest of the country. Just because you believe something doesn't make it true. <laughs> I like that one. Uh, also, the judge implied that there's really no empirical support f- that LGBTQ people are immoral or wrong, you know, because what I'm imagining is if let's just change LGBTQ people in this case, let's change it to murderers or something. I'm just trying to think like what would be another group that would make more sense. Yeah, like mass murderers. Let's say that Jennifer Keaton is like, look, I can't work with perpetrators of mass violence. You know, it's kind of hard to imagine that she would ever come across someone like that. But let's just, for the sake of, you know, this thought experiment, let's say she says that. Let's say she's like, look, according to my religion, these people are immoral and they're wrong. And I just, I just can't, I just can't work with these people who do such terrible things. And it doesn't, it's not a direct analogy, but um, so I don't know, maybe I should just stop right there. But anyway, the point is, is that the judge is saying, look, you believe that LGBTQ people are immoral, but that doesn't necessarily make it true. And by implication, what the judge is saying is there's no empirical evidence that LGBTQ people are immoral or wrong or something like that. Okay. So another thing that this precedent is saying is that people are free to have whatever religious beliefs they want, but they have to put those aside if those religious beliefs interfere with client welfare or client self-determination or educational standards or professional standards. So that's a, that's a very important fight. That's a very important precedent. You can have whatever belief you want, but if that interferes with the profession and with the educational standards, then then you have to do, then you're, you, you, you are subject to remediation essentially. Also that, uh, the, the press, another precedent that this sets is that it's reasonable to limit someone's religious freedom in this way, that it's, it's, it's a reasonable limitation to their freedom of speech and their freedom of religion. So the court isn't saying that it's okay for a university to force someone to change their opinion about something, but they are saying that it's okay for a university to impose remediation 
to help a student adhere to the standards of the program as long as the standards are reasonable and standard to the profession. Okay, so what did Jennifer and the Christian organization that was funding her, what did they do? Did they say, well, you win, thank you very much? Nope, they appealed, of course, and guess what? They lost <laughs> again. Um, and I read uh, some of the briefs and some of the opinions of the judges and stuff, and I just have to say one thing. I want to go on a little tangent here. After going through different lawsuits myself, I can tell you that a lot of times what happens in these situations is they the defense calls the university program will call upon their accreditation standards as justification for taking actions like this against students, which is what the Augusta State University did. Augusta? Augusta? Augusta State University? Let me look it up again. Um, Augusta State University, yeah. So that's what they did. And, and their, their lawyers really uh, pulled from the American Counseling Association accreditation standards as justification for requiring Jennifer to engage in this remediation program. And when I've been in lawsuits myself as a part of the university, that's a big part of our defense. In fact, it's the main defense really is like looking towards our accreditation standards and saying, look, we have to adhere to these accreditation standards in, in order to remain accredited. And so therefore it's our hands are tied. We have to do this sort of stuff to our students. And I, and I, and I just have to say that doesn't make a lot of sense to me because accreditation is great and it's important, but it's not as, as a program direct, former program director, I felt that our program was our program and that the accreditation body accredited us, which is great. And by accrediting us, they were signing off that they had checked on us and are saying that we're a legitimate marriage and family therapy program that adheres to minimum standards. But those are just minimum standards. You know, they're not, they're not the standards. You can become accredited as a counseling program and still be really, really shitty. <laughs> Believe me, you can be accredited and be terrible. So accreditation really has, you know, it's an indication, as I've talked about in other podcasts before, it's an indication of, of potential quality, but it's not a guarantee by any means. And also there are programs out there that are not accredited that are very high quality. So accreditation is is not as big of a deal as the courts make it out to be, in, in my opinion. And really, I think just reason should rule, right? We shouldn't have to say, look, we are forced to do this by our accrediting body, therefore take it easy on us. I don't think we should, we should have to say this. What, what we should be able to say is, look, we have a student here who is, refu- who is discriminating against a marginalized group of people, and therefore that's wrong, and we gave her a chance to change her attitude about this, and she refused to do it. And that, that should stand on its own. We shouldn't have to call upon the American Counseling Association to justify our actions. We sh- the actions stand on its own because it's so obvious. Again, if I changed the group of people and said, Jennifer Keaton refused to work with black people, <laughs> would, that doesn't stand. We don't need to look toward our accrediting bodies to justify our actions. It just is obvious that it's – that it that that of course a counseling training program would be in the right to impose a mild remediation program on her 
and by the way, the remediation program said nothing about changing your attitudes and said nothing about actually changing her ability to work with LGBTQ people. You know, the remediation program plan didn't say, and at the end, you have to work with LGBTQ people. It didn't say that. It just said, you just have to expose yourself to gay people. You have to take some workshops. You have to read some articles and you have to write some reflection papers. That's it. My guess is, is that the faculty astutely surmised that Jennifer would, in the end, loosen up, which is what I was saying earlier. So uh, I just want to – I just have that little rant that I, I, I don't understand this obsession with the accrediting bodies as the main piece of, of, um, of defense. But anyway, so uh, I want to take a break, and after the break, I'm going to talk about another case that actually went differently. So let's take a break. All right, we're back from the break. Again, remember that this episode is brought to you by Talkspace. Use the promo code Kirk, K-I-R-K, for a discount and also to signal to Talkspace that you are one of my listeners. So if you're looking for a counselor, go to Talkspace. All right. So that's what happened with Julie, with um, Jennifer Keaton, is she was very vocal about LGBTQ, uh, anti-LGBTQ sentiments, and then they imposed a mild remediation uh, plan. And then the Alliance uh, Defending Freedom uh, Fund people came in and funded a lawsuit. Uh, they lost. They appealed. They lost again. All right. Let's go to another case. This is in Michigan at Eastern Michigan University, a counseling trainee by the name of Julia Ward. Julia Ward. Julia was at her internship and she received a client file and she has similar, if not identical beliefs to Jennifer, by the way, about LGBTQ people. And she read, so Julia reads in the client file, she's like, oh, this person, I wonder what's up with them. And she reads that this client, he had been counseled before about a same sex relation, same sex relationship. So she's like, oh, this guy looks like he might be gay. And so she went to her supervisor at the internship and she said, in accordance with my beliefs, I am not able to counsel this client and I need to refer this client to someone else. Okay. So the university responded by, well, so again, let's pause here for a second and think what, you know, what do we do here? We have an intern that's saying, this client looks gay to me. I'm not going to work with this client. I need, I need someone else to see this client. So at first, this looks very similar to the Jennifer Keaton situation, right? We have a, a, a bigoted therapist, and they're saying that they're not going to work with this person. They're refusing service based on prejudice and discrimination and bigotry, that they're not going to work with that person. Very, you know, seems very similar to, to the Jennifer Keaton case, but is it? So let's look at All right. So university... Decide, they get together and they determine that she was discriminating against this client and they expelled her. They just, there was no remediation. They just kicked her out of the program. So Julia sues and uh, she, a similar situation. She claims that she was being singled out for her religious belief. She says that, you know, this is discrimination based on her religion. She says that it's her First Amendment right to. Uh, say whatever she wants to say. So at first we might think that 
this this Julia case is similar to the Jennifer case, and she lost. But but again, this case is different. There was no remediation plan. There was also no refusal to participate in a remediation plan because there was no there was no remediation plan offered, and there was no expressed interest in conversion therapy. She she just wanted to refer the LGBTQ client. She wasn't saying she was in she 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 wasn't saying I'm going to engage. If you do give me this client, I'm going to engage in an unethical practice. She's just saying, look, I just I just can't work with this person. You need to take you need to send this person to someone else. Also, Julia, from what it seems, was not vocal about her viewpoint. She she just she kept it on the DL, and when she was given a gay client. That might have been the first time she indicated her preference at all, and she just she just referred. Whereas Jennifer Keaton at the Augusta State University case, Jennifer Keaton, before even bumping up against the remediation plan, had repeatedly talked in class and repeatedly written in assignments and repeatedly talked with students outside of class about her anti-gay attitudes and about her uh, her affinity to conversion therapy. So this is a this is a really a different situation. So I believe that they're, they're, the first hearing they actually threw it out. They dismissed the the lawsuit and cited on the side of Eastern Michigan University. And then I think Julia and her team of people uh, appealed, and as they were heading toward uh, the appeal. Eastern Michigan decided to settle and they settled for $75,000, which is similar to tuition, which I have to say is a, is a pretty low amount when you consider other kinds of judgments like this. Cause you, you can one. So one, the legal costs for a, an appeal like this could be hundreds of thousands of dollars for a university Two, if they lost the case, they could have been. They would have. They might had. They might have had to give up hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. So seventy five. So settling for seventy five grand is 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 considered probably by the university to be a win for the university because they're just like, look, if we can just pay seventy five grand and have this be over and just put this behind us, then that is you know money well spent because we don't have to buy any more lawyers anymore and we don't have to spend any more time with this. We don't have to risk a, a terrible judgment by the by the judge. But but also it appears that the consensus is that Eastern Michigan University didn't have a very good case and was heading into the court proceeding in a in a lesser position, in a weaker position. And so they settled it, it, according to some people their opinion is is they settled because they weren't likely to win. And so the difference here is that with Julia, the university expelled her very quickly, right? They didn't, they didn't give her a remediation plan. Also, there was, they didn't know really why she was referring. So again, as I was talking about earlier, People are completely free to refer clients that they don't believe they're going to be very much good with, right? There are people who, like I say, I refer eating disorder clients or I uh, refer infants, right? And I, I refer young children now. 
Um, I used to see infants. I used to see young children. I don't anymore. I don't have an office set up for it. I'm sort of out of practice with that kind of thing. And so I refer people like that. Is that discrimination? Well, uh, I'm, it's, it's referring, it's, it's in the best interest of the client that they go somewhere else. And there are plenty of other clinicians in Seattle that specialize in that sort of thing. Now at the conference I was at yesterday, they were talking about, well, what if you're in a rural uh, context and you're the only counselor for a hundred miles around? Well, can you refer people? And what the lawyer slash counselor was saying was, you actually might have to take every client that comes your way if you live in a small community because you're you can't you can't refuse service to somebody based on their identification or even necessarily their disorder um, because that could be considered discrimination. So if you live in a very small community, you might be kind of screwed when it comes to this sort of thing. Um, at least that's what he was saying. But anyway, I live in a big city with thousands of therapists, and so it's completely. Uh, it's not harming the client by referring the client somewhere else. Um, but again, I'm not saying that I won't work with an infant. I'm not saying I won't work with someone with eating disorders. I'm just saying there are other people that are probably better for them. And and I'm also saying that if they forced me to work with that person, then I'd be fine with that. You know, if, if they're saying no, you're the man for me. Um, I don't have any other options or blah, blah, blah. And I'd be like, okay, fine. You know? Um, and I, and I would, and, and I would, you know, cause I, I'm just, I don't care that much. So, so that's that. So with, with, uh, with Jennifer Keaton, what her, th- her problem was, was she was very, she, she was very vocal and had written emails and assignments and stuff. And there were accounts of her saying, that she was adamantly against LGBTQ people. Whereas Julia Ward at Eastern Michigan University, from what I can tell, wasn't vocal about anything at all. All she did is say, I don't want to work with this client for religious reasons and please refer them. So that's the, the, according to the legalese that I've been reading, that's the big difference. So you can't just kick a student out or even necessarily create a remediation plan. So what what Eastern Michigan University should have done is, apparently, is they should have sat Julia down and said, okay, so we heard that you are refusing to see this gay client. Can you tell us what's going on there? And then they have a conversation with her, and she's like, well, according to my religion, blah, blah. And like, well, so it, it's it's probably in your best interest if – you learn how to work with these people because you're going to get other clients like this. Um, and you're also going to get other clients that are going to maybe challenge other religious beliefs of yours. And it might, it's in your best interest to be able to treat lots of different clients. And why don't you give it a try and, and we'll watch you and we'll, you know, supervise you and we'll give you consultation and, and we'll see how it goes. What do you say? So, you have a conversation with her. Now, at that point, if she's like, no, I, I'm never going to work with those people. And you're like, well, why are you going to work with these people? Because it's immoral what they're doing. And I, and I think blah, blah, blah. And then you start hearing the reasons for you're, – you're giving her a chance 
to to tell her reasons. Now, if her reason is like, well, I'm afraid of them because my church tells me that they're terrible people. Well, then, you know, then that gives you a direction that you can go in in terms of helping her to not be afraid. So, so you have a conversation. So Eastern Michigan University, and maybe they did this, I don't know, but I, from the looks of it, they didn't. And you have a conversation with her and you try to help her and you try to work with her. Give it some time. Give it some breathing room. Give, you know, give it, let her off the hook for now. Say, okay, well, we're for this client for now, but let's, let's really get into this. We're going to, we're not going to let you off the hook just yet. So let's talk about this. And you have some conversations, you have some supervision. You ask her if she would be willing to go to some training programs. You ask her if she'd be willing to go to the gay pride parade. You ask her if she'd be willing to talk to some gay colleagues of hers or something. And you try to work with her on this. And if she doesn't agree to it, then you say, well, if you want to stay in this program, you're going to have to do these things. And then you impose the remediation plan. You give her a chance to do that. And then if she refuses to do that and she stated very clearly that the reason why she doesn't want to do it is because she believes that LGBTQ people are immoral, then you're in a situation like the Jennifer Keaton situation at Augusta State University, and then you can kick her out of the program because you have enough data and you've given her enough chance. So just because someone refuses to work with a particular group of people doesn't apparently justify kicking them out of the program. You have to you have to give it some some breathing space. You have to give it some time. You have to give it. You have to give. You have to investigate more and and find out what's really going on. Okay, so I want to conclude with something here. In response to all this, there was a movement in Arizona. So, what some of the Christian people were seeing was they were seeing the writing on the wall, and they're seeing that. LG, that some of their Christian brethren and sister and were potentially going to be forced to work with LGBTQ clients in a way that would be challenging to their religion. And some, I, I don't understand how it challenges their religion, but uh, because I, as I said earlier, there's plenty of Christians that are completely fine with LGBTQ people. And there are plenty of Christians who are LGBTQ. So, I don't understand why it challenges their religion, but anyway, they're saying, uh-oh, all of these Christian counselors are going to be forced to work with LGBTQ people, so we better get ahead of this. So in Arizona, they passed a law funded by the Alliance Defending Freedom people, those people, remember those people again. And incidentally, there are similar movements in Michigan and Tennessee. And so Arizona, and they, they got a law passed. These people, they, pa- they got a law passed in the state legislature, which enacted a law preventing counseling programs from taking actions against students whose religious beliefs run counter to serving certain kinds of clients, namely LGBTQ people, as long as they consult with supervisors about how to avoid harming those clients, which I don't really understand that last clause. But in other words, if a counseling trainee in Arizona says that they don't want to treat a gay person or a trans person or a queer person or a bisexual person, uh, and, and they don't want to treat that person because of their religious beliefs, then the counseling program has to give in. In Arizona, if you're a training program, <laughs> you probably already know this if you, if you are a training uh, professional in Arizona, that if one of your trainees says, look, according to my religion, I can't work with LGBTQ clients, as a training program, you have to be like, okay, according to the law, I have to allow you to do that. Now, the American Counseling Association wrote the governor of Arizona, urging her to veto the bill. And they said that, look, 
Multicultural competency is a core, core skill in our profession. So by doing this, you're allowing trainees to avoid that competency. You can't allow a student to avoid working with a group of people that they're prejudiced against. That's just not, it's not okay. It's you're, you're passing a law that is counter to our ethics. It's actually unethical for us to allow a uh, trainee to not work with a particular group of people because they want to discriminate against them. It's just not, you're putting us in a bind here. You're basically asking us to train people in an unethical manner. So, um, and they asked the uh, faculty in some of these training programs in Arizona and the training program people are like, well, we don't like it, but we'll follow the law if we have to. So this is idiotic. You know, what are we looking at here, people? We're going to allow someone to say that they, I don't want to work with LGBTQ people and that's because of my religion and you can't make me and the laws in Arizona and maybe in Michigan, maybe in Tennessee, allow me to do that. What are we looking at here, people? McDonald's can say, I don't want to serve an LGBTQ people person. A dry cleaners can say, I don't want to wash a dirty black person's clothing. A, you know, a government office can say, I don't like redheads. This is not okay. This is not okay. This is not okay. It's un-American. It's unconstitutional. It's backward thinking. This is counter to everything that our field stands for. It's counter to everything that America stands for. It needs to stop. And if you don't like it, then you need to get out of the profession. What are you doing in our field when you have harmful attitudes like this? You need to go away. And you, you need to just go away and drift into history to be forgotten. All of your attitudes will be long gone in 50 years. You will be forgotten. You will be a footnote on and This will be a footnote in the progression of our society toward a better one. There'll, there'll be this tiny footnote. What, well, in, in, in the, in the 2000s or in the early 21st century, there were some minor movements da, 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 that fizzled out. And again, I'm not talking about Christians. There are plenty of Christians who would never do stuff like this. And there are plenty of Christians who are completely fine with LGBTQ people. And there are plenty of LGBTQ people who are Christians. So I'm not talking to them. I'm talking to the bigots who just happen to be Christians or some other religion. Um, I'm talking about the bigots who target any group of people, namely LGBTQ people. I'm also not talking to people who agree to engage in a conversation about it. I'm not. There are people who, there are Christians who disagree with the LGBTQ lifestyle who don't want to engage in a conversation about it. I'm not talking to those people. I'm only talking to people like Jennifer Keaton who just flat out refuse to engage in the remediation plan. The program very nicely laid out a very easy remediation plan that didn't say, that didn't shame her, that didn't say she had to change her religious beliefs, that just said, look, we want you to expose yourself to more gay people, and our guess is, is that this will loosen you up, but it's up to you. Those are the people I'm talking about. Look, if you're that afraid 
of being exposed to gay people. And if you're, if your belief system is that fragile that you need to not engage in conversations with, with LGBTQ people, then how, how do you, how do you respect your own belief system on this? Because I have to say, I have a belief, right? And you've heard many of them. Well, if I hung out with a bunch of conservative anti LGBTQ people, I'm pretty positive that I wouldn't change my mind. I'm pretty sure that you could make me go to a workshop about anti-gay sentiment. You could make me read some anti-gay literature. You could make me hang out with anti-gay people. And I am 100% sure that my mind will not be changed. Why? Because I'm right. That's why. Because I am on the right side of this issue, as is most of America, by the way. Most of America is on my side, even Christians. So this needs to stop. You need to go away. You need to, you need to change your opinion, or you need to start engaging in conversation, or you need to look yourself in the mirror and wonder why you're doing this. Um it just needs to stop. That's it's that simple. I, I I don't understand this this well. There's two sides to the issue, and we want to respect both sides. No, well, sure we can respect people. That's fine, but there is no two sides of this issue. There's the right side, the moral side, the American side, and then there's the bigoted side, the un-American side, and the wrong side. And history and the future will definitely bear that out if it hasn't already. So people in Arizona, if you aren't already, you need to change this law. You need to you need to really do something about this law, citizens of Arizona. And people of the rest of the world, this nonsense needs to stop. And I know a lot of you out there are already doing things, and I commend you. We also need to write our politicians. We need to write our judges. We need to make blog posts. We need to speak up in class. Uh, it's not okay to discriminate against any group of people, particularly marginalized group of people. I'm tired of people saying that I'm tired of people talking about this. I'm just, I'm so tired of this. Honestly, it's so obvious what the right answer is and how long is it going to take? It, it, it It's, it's 2017. Let's wake up. Again, if you're a bigot and you want to be a therapist, either change your attitude or get out of the profession. We don't want you and clients are better off without you. 